Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I interview Bradley Feller, head of growth at Echo, England's leading online pharmacy. So their growth exploded when COVID hit, when in just three weeks, they doubled the number of patients they served. Ethan, what jumped out at you as particularly interesting from this episode? Well, nobody could have accounted for that kind of growth surge, and it was pretty uh, amazing how they had to react. So what jumped out at me is the huge challenges of meeting new operational demands that surfaced overnight. It was really neat to see how their patient-led mission has carried them through that and into this new phase of growth that they're going through. And it's super interesting to learn how they even paused acquisition at one point, albeit temporarily, as everyone in the company was forced to focus on driving successful patient outcomes. Yep. Uh, and that was one of the things that Bradley explained that, yeah, unlike a lot of businesses, their business, there's a lot of people that are, are depending on their service to stay alive. So yeah. <laughs> it makes sense that they would probably temper growth to make sure that they could handle the, the new demand. But slowing down helped them in other ways too. So for example, they were able to process some of that learning. And one of the things that, that surfaced was that a lot of the people on the platform now, a lot of the people who were, who were getting uh, prescriptions through Echo were actually more of the older demographic rather than the early adopters that had been adopting their solution before the pandemic. So they had to adjust the language and, and just really the, the usability and everything to, to address this new audience. Yeah, I think he mentioned that like their oldest user is like 97 years old. But so I think that adjustment was made easier because of their strong sense of mission, as I said, aligning teams around that sh a shared mission, placing principles before profits. Those are two cr critical components of growth. And they're ones you and I highlight on our website, breakoutgrowth.net and our eight core principles. Um, so I think Echo Story is a great example of those principles in action. Yep, definitely. So let's jump in and find out what else is behind Echo's breakout growth success. Absolutely. Let's do it. Hey, Brad, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hello, hello. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. So joining me once again is my co-host, Ethan Gar. Welcome, Ethan. Hey, Brad. Hey, Sean. Good to uh, have you guys together. We're on a Friday here, so um, Brad's over in the UK, so he's he's just getting ready to kick off a weekend, but we want to uh, dig in and hear the Echo story from him, and uh, why, don't, why don't we start, um, before we really kind of dig into the growth story, but just really what Echo is and and maybe a little bit about the problem that it solves? Well, firstly, thanks, thanks very much for having me on, guys. Um, big admirer of both of you, and I think... Uh, uh, been listening to the podcast for a while, so I feel honored to be here. Yeah, so uh, Echo is a repeat prescription fulfillment service, essentially an online pharmacy. Um, and what we do is we deliver people the medicine they need to uh, get better or stay well, and that's it. So, so how does how does that actually work? You sign on to Echo. You tell us who your doctor is, GP. Um, you tell us the medicine you're on. And we are the conduit between you and your doctor. So once um, you place your medicine requests with Echo, we send that request off on your behalf to your doctor. Your doctor approves your prescription and then we fulfill your medicine. We dispense your medicine for you. That's great. And then what, what's the business model? 
we operate in the exact same way as every other pharmacy here in the UK that provides services to the NHS, the National Health Service here. Um, and essentially, uh, the model is um, very similar to a subscription model that you would have. We get uh, reimbursed from the NHS for every item we dispense on their behalf, but we're ultimately reliant on that repeat uh, repeat business, right? So very much what you don't pay for our service, you know, the, the repeat nature of our relationship is, is really the fundamental bit there. Got it. Got it. And then what, what would you say is really the, the problem that you're solving with echo or that, that the founders initially set out to solve? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting one because our two co-founders came from two distinct, had two distinct problems. One, um, suffered from, uh, well, uh, anxiety, um, and the other had uh, asthma. So two quite distinct problems, but ultimately, which I, I, I can elaborate on in a bit, I guess, but, but ultimately the problem we're solving is one of adherence, right? Um, people need their medicine to live out their lives as, as healthy a way as possible. And, and the first hurdle to that is getting your medicine. And what we do is get the medicine to the people that need it. Um, Stephen, our co-founder who um, uh, uh, has anxiety, he one of his real reasons for starting Echo was the gauntlet that he had to face sometimes to get the medicine he needed. Um, you know, we'd have to go to the doctor, the GP, they'd have to approve the request, he'd have to then walk down to the pharmacy. Um, and that sounds... Not too terrible, but imagine you're doing that while you're having a panic attack. It's n- almost impossible, right? That's it, right? It looks to me like Echo's been around about five or six years. I, I know now it's a it's really an app based service. Did it start that way? I mean, with that vision from his, you know, taking his anxiety and figuring out a way to solve that problem, or has it evolved over that time? Um, I think like every every startup, right? The the initial, if you look at what Echo was when they first started, it's evolved quite significantly. But it did start off as an iOS app, which was the idea that that um, it's always in your pocket, right? It's always with you. It's your companion. Yeah, and I think that probably makes a lot of sense too, because as a you know as a consumer where you need to think about your medications. It may not be when you're sitting in front of your desktop. So, uh, you know, uh, your phone goes with you. So I think that that it's a logical way to handle that, you know, to solve that problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And as, and as the, it evolved, you know, we obviously launched the um, Android app um, and then the web app was launched um, early 2019. And that was just, again, um, about, accessibility, right? We want as many people to be able to use Echo as possible throughout, you know, across a different an age spectrum. So making Echo available in as many places uh, as possible made sense. You're the head of growth there. You've been there uh, about two years, correct? Yeah, uh, two years on the dot, pretty much. Has it been a, a pretty distinct evolution since you've been there? Have things changed a lot in that yeah, two years? What a ride, you know. I think I think when I joined, um, it was still a young, scrappy startup, right? Um, and within that year, a whole bunch of things happened that that um, influenced the company positively. Uh, where I think we are now versus when I joined was maturing. We understand our product and we understand the problems a lot better um, than what we did two years ago. 
One, because just the volume that we're dealing with today, so different that that we're able to really use data in a way that we just weren't able to uh, two years ago at all. Um, yeah, it's, so it's a completely different proposition there. We're able to look at um, trends in a way that we just couldn't uh, before, both from a product perspective, but also just medicine usage and distribute and those sort of bits um, has completely changed too. Hey, Brad, I'm, I'm really curious, what attracted you to the company in the first place? Yeah, well, um, I think the, the the biggest thing that attracted me was the the fact that this was a problem that no one was really solving in a way that was patient-led. Um, the founders, again, were patients, and that mattered. And I think the other thing is that feeling of wanting to do something that is impactful, not in a broader sense, you know, I'm a, you know, you know, on an Elon Musk level, let's say, but more at a human level, a personal level, right? I want to be able to have a positive impact on people's lives and people that walk past on the street every day. And the second thing was, you know, um, I've worked at quite a few startups now and and teams are very important. And the thing that attracted me to Echo above other bits was um, that Echo had a team and was building a team that could execute on this problem. And that I think is super important, right? I actually, one of the things I noticed was that uh, Rocket Internet was one of the early investors in the business. Was that, I mean, as someone who's been in growth for quite a while, I know they are, uh, they're a really sharp kind of growth team or, you know, a growth, growth investment fund. Was that attractive for you or had you worked with a Rocket back company before? Um, so I hadn't worked with a Rocket back company, but what was attractive was that, um, a chap called Raja Hassan, who had worked at many, actually was the CEO of Echo when I joined. So he had experience of, uh, he was a career at HelloFresh, taking them public, all that sort of jazz. Um, and Roger had that rocket experience, of course, but also experience of scaling businesses and executing on pretty complex problems, especially when distribution sort of stuff was involved. So he brought a lot of that experience and insight along. That's so cool. So you know, you've you've explained that over the last two years, you guys have really grown and matured. Can you tell us a little bit more about that growth? And I guess really, I, I would think that COVID must have been a great accelerant. And I, it'd be, I'm curious to hear how that's impacted the last two years for the last year for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I joined, we were around 20,000 patients, which was tremendous. You know, the the January was huge for, for the business. I think we signed on 6,000 patients in that January, you know, and everyone was ecstatic. These were crazy, crazy days, you know. Um, and then when I joined, we didn't actually have any budget for the first two or three months, a couple of months, right? We just didn't have budget. So it was, we were looking at, things we could do more broadly. And then a little bit of budget came in. Um, and what we started seeing was that, you know, what we started delivering with that modest budget really was, you know, we were doubling in size every three months. Now, now most businesses, we would be, you know, ecstatic about that. But as you can imagine, the, the mission that we were on was to get more people to take the medicine they need to stay well, you know. Um, so, so that wasn't good enough. 
but we were doubling every three months. Um, and then COVID came around and we doubled in size. Now, obviously, you know, the, the scaling fact, uh, factor there, we, we doubled in size in a sort of two, three-week period. Um, so this is tremendous from from a, a just a general growth perspective, of course. But um, what was also interesting is, shit, how do we scale our services to be able to deal with this? How do we scale our distribution, you know, to be able to deal with this? Because the last thing we'd want um, is for someone to want to use our service and then for us to miss the mark. Because unlike maybe some other areas, if we don't get you the medicine that you're on, uh, especially for certain conditions, one, there's a life sort of um, impact and consequence. But on the flip side, you'll never touch us again. Never. You wouldn't even like sniff at us again. Um, so these were big things, you know, but but from there where we hit about 200,000 patients, we're now still, um, you know, we learned a lot during that period as well. And now we're closing in on 400,000. So in that two-year period, it's a tremendous tremendous growth for this particular space that's amazing and i guess with you know it's really a good point i mean trust is always really important for any business trying to grow but i guess for you guys uh you get kind of one bite at that apple if, it, if you lose trust it's going to be desperately hard to get someone to come back because in some cases it, it can be life and death but it's interesting like when you when you talk about covid i guess you know, the original use case that where your founder had anxiety and uh, felt uncomfortable going into the into the pharmacy, like th- that's a must have for a small population. But, you know, so it's kind of an at that point, it's almost like a niche. But when COVID hits now, it's it, it changes from a niche to a must have for everyone. Right. It goes from it's a nice to have if you know I need my whatever, you know, my whatever regular medication I get. But at this point if you can't walk into the pharmacy because of a lockdown, it becomes an absolute uh, necessity. So it's, I guess that's the real driver here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, during the like March in the UK, I think our lockdown, our first lockdown, I should say, um, it kicked in on the 17th of March and it lasted a, a couple of months. Um, the, the most astonishing thing we saw there, I think just in terms of our uh, patient profile was the age demographic and the shift. So one of the things we did very early on was try um, speak to a slightly older audience. But what we found when that lockdown hit, and even a lot of that's still continuing now, was a surge in older people adopting digital, adopting a service like ours, being comfortable to, to, to take that leap, or let's put it this way, being forced in a way to take right, that leap. Right. Where the hook may have been convenient somewhat before that, like for older people, tech is often not convenient. It's scary. It's it's cumbersome. And uh, but suddenly it went beyond convenience. Where it's like, I, I don't want to get sick if I could go to a pharmacy anyway. And and so I'm going to figure out the tech side. Yeah, exactly. And and we actually have a couple of features which we handily call internally uh, the next of kin feature. We probably need a, a better name internally. I think externally it's family medicine management, right? But we also found that not only did our median age sort of jump during this period to sort of 60, right, um, at a median, which is astonishing, we also found that families, friends, and so on started adopting this feature of ours, which wasn't heavily used because 
the the need and then also the appreciation for distance sort of health management uh, became sort of pretty pretty evident as well. So it's a really interesting shift in behavior during that period that we're still seeing now. I think one of our oldest uh, patients who who are who are actively using our services is ninety seven. Wow, <laughs> that, that's definitely probably setting a record for the oldest uh, oldest <laughs> customer of anybody we've interviewed on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Ethan, you when you and I were talking earlier, I think you had mentioned that uh, you'd, you'd seen that 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 Echo had been acquired by McKesson. Is that what, yeah. is that yeah. In fact, true? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mentioned in 2019, we got a little bit more budget um, and things shifted a bit. Well, in June 2019, McKesson took uh, a, a quiet, well, took out a 70% stake in Echo. Um, and the buyout, the, the conclusion of that will happen soon. Um, yeah, so, so that's where those extra funds came from. Then that's where those extra funds came from. Exactly. I mean, so so, but but it unlocked other things besides for the extra funds. So McKesson owns Lloyd's Pharmacy here in the UK, which is the second biggest pharmacy, like uh, High Street, a uh, you know a, a pharmacy group. They also own the one of the biggest medicine wholesalers here in the UK. So not only do we get. Um, some extra money, which is great, and that that has been incredible, and they've been very supportive. We also suddenly got access to a pharmacy, a high street pharmacy network here that meant that we, you know, that have four million active patients, right? Which meant that we could really engage that audience directly with purpose and with a relevant message as well. Um, so not only did it unlock funds, which is great, it also unlocked patients. It also unlocked some, uh, if you will, logistical, some uh, operational efficiencies as well. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I hope your your audience knows that McKesson makes the absolute best Band-Aids on the, on the planet. <laughs> I think that's what they're known for is my understanding. <laughs> Most people in Europe, certainly, you, you tell them who McKesson are and, and they would – not have a clue, right? Not have a clue. But but McKesson is this gigantic, gigantic business. Yeah, Ethan's a Band-Aid expert. He gets lots of ouchies. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that makes sense that that would be, have a, a really transformative effect if you could tap into their network and, and their expertise. When you when you look at kind of growth overall, is there is there some uh, key learnings that you've you've uncovered along the way that have become really important parts of, of how you approach growth and, and how did you discover them? Um, yeah. So, so I guess one thing, you know, when it comes to growth rather than performance marketing, right. I'm sure uh, Sean, Ethan, you've both, you both have to grapple with this pretty regularly is, um, you know, it's our data first approach, right? So it's first about trying to uncover um, an insight that we can then try you know, develop hypotheses of that we can prove out. Um, so the one of the first things that we did, certainly when I joined, was um, we shifted who we wanted to um, talk to as a business. The reason for that is I mentioned we get um, uh, reimbursed by the NHS for dispensing medicine on their behalf, um, and we pick up the bill for the delivery, right? So it's free delivery and all that. 
Um, now, whilst we want to help as many people as we can, what we have to do is, you know, um, make sure that we, to some extent, making money on every dispatch. What that means is that, um, unfortunately, someone who's on the contraceptive but otherwise healthy and gets that prescription renewed once every six months isn't, we're not helping them as much as we could, right? Um, and they're not as profitable to us as a business as they could be. But someone who is on um, several items, um, take myself, I've got this uh, uh, um, uh, a genetic form of cholesterol, right? So no matter how much uh, fat I eat or burgers I eat and chips I eat, it does nothing. My cholesterol keeps going up. So, <laughs> so I have to uh, take two pills a night. Um, now, someone like me or someone who's on more pills is ultimately more profitable because we get the reimbursement for each one of those items that we can then send per package. So the first thing we did was, well, we looked at our audience data and we said, well, you know, we're not breaking even, obviously, per we're way, way before that. But but there are these little pockets, you know, of patients that are really profitable, that are on a lot of items. Who are they? Um, and what we really dug out from that, we we looked at conditions, we looked at locations, we looked at as many sort of slices of that sort of profile as we could. But ultimately, what it meant was that we had to start figuring out ways that we could resonate with an older audience. And that was, I think, the, you know, it's really um, digging into that data and trying to uncover those insights. And the biggest insight we had, the biggest thing that came out of that process was stop talking to 18-year-olds and talk to 80-year-olds, right? Um, not that we went all that way, but, you know, the, the sounds really basic, but I think one of the first things we did was we just stopped targeting people that were under the age of 30. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's such an interesting challenge because it really is younger people tend to be early adopters. And so you have a natural inclination to to want to target them. But in your case, the people who are on those recurring medications are are an older demographic. And, and fortunately, it sounds like you saw that in the data. But I, I, I do think when you look at most apps and most, most uh, online businesses in general, that one of the hardest things to do is to build a, a a habit around using the product when and and in your case you're you're really like tapping into a recurring set of behavior anyway and you're making that easier and more manageable and so it's uh it's it's a really it's a really interesting opportunity for you that uh, I think a lot of businesses have to kind of create a habit from scratch. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point, good point. You know, and we've tapped into that habit by releasing features like reminders, right? Uh, and sounds like a basic one, but but just there's two types of reminders we have. One is just to take your pills, right? Take your pills. Because, again, adherence is at the heart of everything we do. But also, if you take your pills and you finish your sort of round, you have to request again, right? And that's where it comes in. Um, or the reminder to order your medicine because you're about to run low. So all of those sort of reminders is tapping into that um, habit, that behavior, and making sure that Echo is um, sort of poking its head through the door at the right time. You know, um, I was saying this to someone yesterday, which is Echo, weirdly, as it stands today, you know, it may evolve, but as it stands today, we're one of those few apps, those few products that um, 
you don't want to interact with. The only time that people mostly interact with the business is weirdly when something goes wrong, right? Uh, outside, you know, um, for example, Echo's in my, you know, on my phone, it's in my pocket. And, and um, once every three months, I get a little vibration. I take out the phone, I hit confirm, um, and I stick it back in my pocket, right? <laughs> so in a weird way too, it's um, Echo's really humming away when you're not interacting with it, right? Um, which is unlike a lot of other apps where you're looking at dials, miles, you know, all that sort of stuff where you're trying to get that behavior, uh, you instigate that sort of regular usage behavior. Um, yeah. It's like, almost more like a, a you know, security app or something that, that it's, it's kind of working in the background. If it's doing its job, then you don't think a lot about it. Exactly right. You know, exactly right. I worked on apps that uh, helped you with spam, spam calls. And it's sort of a similar pro- problem where uh, all the interaction is when somebody, somebody interacts with you as opposed to us interacting as, a, as an app with you. So, uh, you know, if, uh, you, it only provides value when someone calls you trying to impact you. So as a secure, like as you're saying, Sean, like a security app, it's uh, it is that kind of strange situation where it's really about the, this very sort of passive sort of interaction. I was curious, Brad, when, when users uh, do interact with the app and you, you said you've added some of these features like reminders and things like that, who in the organization is really responsible for figuring out how to have those interactions, when to have those interactions. Is it, how's the, how are the teams organized around that for product marketing growth? Yeah. So, so I'd say the team's probably been reorged three or four times, you know, in my time, which is, I guess, nothing too unusual, but the way we've now um, set up the teams is in sort of squads, if you will. So we've got our growth squad, which um, encompasses that entire sort of journey. So we've got people at different sort of points in that, uh, I guess, um, journey with Echo. So everything from top of funnel stuff, call that marketing, right? And and all the way down to um, our product managers, engineers, and so on from a growth perspective. Um, and then we've got the same sort of squads in other parts of the business. Um, but everyone's got their growth hat on to make sure that what they're doing is delivering that value um, to patients. So when it comes to... Uh, notifications and reminders and so on. It's very much a collaborative thing because it it's uh, everything from well, what what are we really trying to instigate? What behavior are we trying to instigate with a reminder? Um, so you know what we came to was that we shouldn't try at them that time at least predict when people take their medicine and so on. We'd rather let them tell us so that we can fit into their lifestyle, their behavior, you know. Um, I take my medicine at 10 o'clock every night, um, but someone might take it at, you know, lunchtime, this sort of thing. What we did there was ultimately it came down to a lot of conversations with our patient base and just trying to really understand how they are using, uh, and when I say conversations, I mean also, you know, speaking to people, but also observing their behavior. Um, and really trying to get underneath the skin of how people take their medicine and when. Mm-hmm. So in your role as head of growth, how, how do you think about that, how that's scoped? And, and is, it, is it more of like influencing a lot of these other teams? Or do you have direct reports in, in different parts of the organization? It just, it just uh, 
I, I think it's, it's one of the big challenges of the head of growth role is that yeah. it, it tends to be structured differently for a lot of companies. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, uh, my my day today, if you will, is is um, about managing a, a team that is focused on top line patient growth. So, getting people through the through the door, if you will. However, the whilst that's my primary day today, that's not where the remit stops, right? Um, so very much I sit within the broader growth team and um, have regular sort of discussions and catch-ups and so on with our uh, data team, data growth, like growth team, the project uh, product managers and so on to really um, focus on efforts on the, the initiatives that are going to um, help us continue growing. Yeah, and then do you have sort of, both within the teams that you that within the, the the areas that you manage yourself and the and and really everyone kind of playing some sort of a role in growth is there is there sort of a centralized metric is you, you mentioned like okay I've got a you're bringing in new new patients but is there is there like active patients or something that um, kind of cross functionally everyone's focused on growing that that uh, measures more of that impact that you talked about that's really important uh, uh, in the big picture of the business? Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting one. So so that's where I think our uh, vertical, if you will, is slightly different from other companies in that um, one of the big, I mentioned it uh, earlier, um, one of the biggest reasons our understanding of why people churn is not, uh, you know, there's un- non-regrettable churn, there people unfortunately pass away or something like that. But then there's regrettable churn, and the vast majority of reasons why people churn away from Echo is if we can't get them their medicine, right? So efforts when it comes to churn or retention, that is really a operational, a logistical effort, right? So it's it's engineering time and, and, and so on that's really focused on how do we get medicine to people's doors quicker? Uh, how do we get through that? bottleneck as fast as we can so weirdly it's less of a right now at least it's less of a front-end product play than what it is an operational one because it's all about okay ordering the right medicine right when you've got limited space it's we operate very much on a um a model that means that we 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 don't overstock and all that sort of stuff it's just in time model right uh, but but it's it's really our number one reason for churn by far is did we get you your medicine in a time today, right? Again, it, all that stuff I mentioned, if we miss, if you go a day without your medicine, for some people, there may be no um, immediate effect. For others, there may be, right? So someone suffering from some mental health condition or um, uh, someone with epilepsy or, you know, the, the list goes on, right? That, that if we don't get, if you go, or, or diabetes, of course. If you don't uh, have your medicine for a day, even there can be some serious consequences. Disastrous, yeah. I, you know, it actually reminds me a lot of TransferWise. Um, that, that's a an interview I did with uh, Neilan Paris, the, the head of growth there, when I was actually in London um, about a year ago, almost almost to the to oh no, about a year and a half ago, I guess now. But um, it, you know, one of the things that he said is that they were, they're very driven by just word of mouth referral with TransferWise and they track their NPS really closely. And what they find is that sometimes they grow so quickly that operationally 
things start to fall apart where, you know, customer service takes more time to get back to people and just that things, things don't work as smoothly because growth is tough. And, and that when that happens, they see a significant decline in the NPS, the net promoter score again. And so they have to, they have to kind of keep retrenching on operations. And I've heard that theme come up a couple of times with you that you, you know, even more importantly in your case, that it's life and death if your operations fall apart because you grow too quickly. Well, this is it, right? So, for example, COVID hit there uh, uh, 17th of March, right? Huge surge. Um, we actually turned off all of our marketing because demand was not a uh, problem, right? Let's just say. Um, and because everyone in the business is so patient-focused, we're patient first, right? Um, the whole marketing team obviously stopped what they were doing from a marketing perspective, but hopped on to doing patient care, customer service. Um, as the product managers, everyone was just focused on trying to do the best for people that we possibly could. Um, our our patient care team, our customer service team, over that sort of period scaled anyway. We went into hiring over, um, and it scaled from eight people. I think it's sitting and closing in on 50 people now. Um, and that was all, again, about going, well, if someone with a – with a, a real question or problem or issue has to speak to someone. We have to try and make ourselves available as quickly as possible. There's nothing worse than you going, okay, where's my, I don't know, my, uh, my, my laundry basket order, right. Or something else that's right. right? Um, yeah. Okay. It's going to be a day or two, but if you're, if you're really um, having a panic attack or something more serious when it comes to, is my medicine arriving? There's this global pandemic. Things are going crazy. Where's my medicine? Um, the first thing, you know, we had to make sure that we, and it still do, and it's still a process, have to make sure that people have that outlet. They have that sort of point of reference. But then also our warehousing, uh, which is effectively our pharmacy, um, that was just not... We, you know, no business plan we had uh, expected that sort of rapid scale. Right. So, yeah. so what was fascinating was our coup, Dominic, uh, he did an incredible job of finding a location, um, doing all the licensing stuff, of course, but essentially lifting up our warehouse, our pharmacy, our dispensary, um, and moving it to a brand new location in a couple of months that was would allow us to get to something like 10x where we were at that stage. Um, and all of that had to be done in record time, you know, with no disruption to patients. I'm curious if the relationship with McKesson was uh, extra valuable during that period. I imagine they have a lot of the experience with the logistics that you probably were dealing with. Did, did that come into play during that? Um, well, interestingly, you know, I think um, – not so much. So McKesson, where they've been really good is providing the resources and the uh, and facilitating for us, if you will. Um, but then they've been really good at letting us get on with the things that we are good at. So which is, you know, move fast. Yeah, sometimes a, like a, a scrappy startup mentality is going to be faster for, for addressing a, a rapidly changing market. Yeah, 100%, right? Whereas if, if it had to go through a more established approach, there would have been many hoops, many committees, many meetings, you know, to get through. Um, but what we were able to do exactly right is that scrap, we still had that scrappy sort of startup culture. So um, that allowed us to get that done. Where McKesson's help really was, you know, 
backing us, right? Signing the check when you need to sign it. Um, putting the financial clout behind us, you know, because as a younger startup, you don't have your uh, financial history, right? You don't have that. That's where that relationship just really was um, essential. Yeah. So if you guys took your focus off of top of funnel, yet you kept seeing all of that growth, how were people finding out about it? Yeah, so this is this is it, right? I think um, uh, word of mouth. So we've always known that people um, refer Echo, right? Um, we always know that because they tell us. You know, they oh, Echo is the best thing I've ever had. Um, I'm telling all my friends about it. But um, during that period, it was very much word of mouth driven. It was also, um, you know, I had my own friends. You know, for for the first time in my life, I became that cool friend that could get something for someone. (laughs) I had friends getting a hold of me going, hey, man, my mother suffers from, um, you know, a condition. Um, Can you help me out? Can you, like, help make sure that my mother, who is in a completely different city and lives on her own, um, can still, you know, be there when I see her next, essentially, right? Um, so it was word of mouth driven. Now, what's interesting there on the word of mouth front, the and and Sean, you're the you're the Mister Referral, Mister Referral. We'll stop, right? Um, but weirdly, in the medical space here in the UK, you can't actually incentivize people. You can't run a traditional referral program because. Um, well, effectively, it's illegal, right? You can't incentivize people to take drugs um, <laughs> as much as we'd like to. <laughs> um, Although there is a multi-level marketing group that's been selling on street corners for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's it. So, so weirdly, it's like we, we've always known that people are talking about ECHO and refer ECHO and all that sort of stuff, but we've never been able to um, set up a program um, that that really bubbles that up, you know, and gives us a, a way to sort of iterate on it. How do you think people become comfortable spreading the word about Echo? Like what, what is it about the experience? I mean, I guess it, it would be somewhat medication specific. I mean, if you're, if you're dealing with anxiety, it might not be the thing you'd like to talk about with others, but I, I, I guess certain, you know, especially certain audiences are going to be more comfortable talking about certain problems they're having. Spot on, Ethan, spot on. You know, I think certain people are not necessarily comfortable talking about anything. I mean, erectile dysfunction, right? I'm not going to go and talk about that necessarily. Um, Or others, you know, some people are uncomfortable talking about their mental health. Some people are uncomfortable talking about the fact that they've got type 2 diabetes, right? Because it's often seen as, well, that's your fault. You're the one that stuffed your face with McDonald's for 30 years and that sort of stuff. So you're absolutely right. A lot of people are not comfortable about talking about their condition or making you know people aware of it. But then there are a big group of people who are comfortable or are caring for someone, right, where they are talking about how they care for the person, especially parents, for example. If I'm caring for my mother who – who does have, you know, she's on a good handful of pulls every night, um, as many sort of 70, 75-year-olds are anyway. Um, I'm very comfortable talking to my friend, partner, about how I save myself, you know, save time, effort in getting my mother her medicine. So those sort of behaviors are very prevalent, you know, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, those, those people are, they're proud to share that story. I guess if we get to take sort of a step back from that, 
what's sort of the the path of discovery for the typical echo user like how do they how do they go from discovering the service using it and then becoming a raving fan and then hopefully sharing that experience with others yeah 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 so you know when i joined echo again 100% of our budget was on facebook the business grew up on facebook uh advertising i should say specifically um and that was sort of the bread and butter for a while, you know. Now Facebook accounts for five, six percent of our overall uh, marketing spend. But really, the the way we we um, reached out to people at the time was uh, early in face uh, in Facebook in uh, Echo's life was all about you know let's just hammer home ads. Um, that again evolved, and 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 for example, we ended up doing. In November 2019, we ran some door drop activity. We thought, okay, well, you know, let's give this channel a go. There's lots of insights there that makes it interesting. Um, but we didn't see uplift. We didn't see uplift. But you know, without uh, despite having all the you know custom URLs and whatever on there, but then COVID hit. For example, again, March 2020, and suddenly you see these huge spikes in signups from people that received these door drops many months before. Um, but anyway, to answer your question more specifically, the typical sort of uh, and historical, it's it, there's a few streams now. The typical is, you know, they'll see an advert of ours, they'll download the app or visit the site, um, and then there's sort of a three-step, it's a very quick process to sign up to Echo. Um, you request your medicine. Um, and then there's a bit of a lag, right? Because your GP, your doctor, do you guys call it GPs, general practitioners in the US? I don't actually know. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. <laughs> Never know, right? Um, but yeah, so your your GP would approve that. Now, depending on how long that takes, that's where a bottleneck is often. And, and some people don't necessarily appreciate that. Um, once your GP approves it, we get it. We dispense a medicine. Most medicines dispensed in under forty-eight hours, um, but it's in forty-eight hours is is the is the um, worst case scenario from getting that approval. Then we don't really see raving fans immediately. We don't see people sort of you know thanking us uh, immediately. What we do see is that happening after they've received their meds once or you know two or three times, mm-hmm. um, because that's where it takes they, a while to build that trust. hundred percent, because the first time is very you know you're you're talking about what if this goes wrong, you know it's a it's a really there's a bit of a trust anxiety going on, but then as soon as they start receiving orders and they get to know okay yeah i should my my notifications come up that i need to reorder i should probably be you know and we we time that so that there's enough time to get your meds and so you don't run out so people are now also comfortable they will get they get comfortable with us reminding them to reorder or re-request i should say um you know seven eight days before they are likely to run out and once they get into those sort of habits and flows, then um, the light bulb clicks, right? The light bulb clicks. Ah, great. I could never, why would I go back to, you know, standing in line at the pharmacy again? Uh, mm. do, you see, do you see any interplay between like people who may have been told about it a few times by their friends and then, and then they see an ad on Facebook and then they, that it's the ad that maybe the attribution comes in, but when you, when you actually ask them, it's like, Oh, people told me about it. And then I saw an ad. Do, do you see anything like that? 
Um, sometimes what's, what's sometimes not, not dramatically, you know, not dramatically. Now that our marketing mix is, is significantly broader and more complex, it's even more difficult, right? Cause it's all over the place. Um, and what we don't have, and again, there's a like privacy things in medicine. What we don't have is how did you hear about us? Right. We don't ask that question. Um, uh, and we probably should, we probably should, but we have to find ways to ask it that doesn't infringe on on people's privacy too much. Um, it's very hard to sort of give you a definitive answer there. But we certainly, when we've interviewed people, um, and we we do that a lot, you know, um, interview our patients, speak to them, and everyone in the business can hop onto these interviews, right? Uh, you can always listen in um, or, uh, yeah. Uh, but when we speak to patients, a lot of them will just say, yeah, I came across your ad and I thought I'd give it a go. Um, having said that, though, that is... Um, there's more complexity there that we recognize that we haven't been able to prove out. Interesting. So on that theme that, you know, once people experience this and have a good experience, they probably are never going to go back, but over the, over the, you know, the coming months, we hope that the vaccine and uh, will help COVID subside a little bit and uh, we'll go back to some sort of normalcy. How do you expect, how do you see that changing the world of echo and, and in what ways and, what are what's the plan for expansion now? Like, where will you grow and go from here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Great question. So, so a couple of things. One, actually, we saw the peak, the real sort of um, peak of demand, only last about six, seven weeks after the initial lockdown date in the UK. Um, so, interestingly, that that wasn't, and and even though we doubled in size. And some competitors grew dramatically, you know, and the whole space was, everything was going crazy. Digital, like delivery, penetration, uh, the services like Echo, um, in the UK is only sitting now at just shy of 3%. Um, and that percentage, even in the US, you'll find is actually really low. Um, I believe last time I checked, so I'm sure it's higher now, but last time I checked, which was ages ago, um, I think uh, the delivery pen, uh, digital penetration in the U.S. was only 8%. Yeah, um, and that's probably mostly Canadian pharmacies. <laughs> Canadian pharmacies, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's it. So, and, and, and the, so the, the first point is that there is – Huge opportunity for us to transform people's lives and make sure they get their medicine again. In England, we don't even operate throughout the UK. It's just in England. Um, but because all the healthcare services in the United Kingdom are so different, it's almost easier for us to launch in Ireland or the US or, or Germany as, as it is for us to launch in Scotland. So, you know, I don't think there's, and, and obviously the relationship with McKesson means that where they've got a strong foothold or presence, we can piggyback off that, right? However, having said that, the UK market, the English market is still so untapped. Now, don't forget that half the adult population in the UK are on some form of repeat description. And so that is, what is that? I don't know, 20 million people, right? But only 3% of them are currently getting their medicine delivered. It's <laughs> a uh, so huge opportunity uh, in this market to, to still expand and to figure out. I don't think figuring out, you know, the logistical and operational and, and sort of app experience um, things are, are the crux. I think uh, there's a lot about how 
behavior generally that we still need to understand, right? And when I mean behavior, it's what is your relationship with your medicine? Do you see yourself as a patient, right, or a victim or not? And and these sort of things we still want to uncover. Um, but, yeah, there won't probably be any immediate expansion anytime soon because this market is is still untapped. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're uh... – when you've got an open market like that, really dialing in product market fit there and really understanding it, that's probably the key to uh, any future expansion anyway. So if you guys can really own and, and understand how to how to really deliver value for end users in, in the UK, seems like that's a, a good way forward. Um, so we are running out of time. I just wanted to ask uh, one question that we, uh, we always like to um, uh, ask all our guests is, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand as well before your Echo experience a couple of years ago? Yeah, uh, again, you guys are full of uh, full of great questions. Huh? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what? Um, I think pre-COVID, um, maybe naively, maybe not. You know, the thing that I didn't have an appreciation for at all was the effect that real demand can have. And, and, you know, yeah, as someone in sort of the space, you're all about, you know, uh, CRO, you know, all these sort of little bits where you're trying to eke out, you know, and find your percentages and find that little quick win. But what I learned from certainly March, April last year was that if there's real demand, like real demand for your service and product, um, <laughs> your people will fight to be able to access it right um your your onboarding experience can be rubbish your branding who cares right if people really want to be able to access the service the product whatever they will fight they will jump through hoops they will do everything possible to get that not to say that everything else isn't vital and i'm still hugely a huge proponent however what I learned was that actually there needs to be a balance. You need to focus as much on demand generation as what you do on demand harvesting. Um, because if people really want want to use your product, really, really, uh, your marketing, you know, uh, cash is probably your budget doesn't need to be as great. Let's put it that way, right? You can focus on delivering uh, uh, other, I guess. Uh, efforts but yeah that's probably I, I, the thing i think what you're really talking to there is is something that ethan and i um are really aligned on that that probably the the most important growth factor in any business is product market fit and you know product market fit essentially is exactly what you're saying demand for a solution to a problem that exists that's not currently being fulfilled by other solutions. And so, um, you know, if you, if you have that dynamic, you, it is just so much easier to be successful than if you don't have that dynamic. And sometimes in that, in that case, you actually want to spend more on marketing because it's a matter of kind of getting the word out there that the solution is available. But that's it, right? That's it. Your, your, your marketing focus shifts, right? So you're not, you're not looking to mop up sort of, uh, the, the, the sort of bottom of funnel, uh, and need states. You're looking to you know, generate that. Uh, but also, you're right, product market fit is pretty much it. And, and what's tricky is that a lot of startups 
forget about that, right? Forget about that. What they end up doing is they, okay, we've got to raise money in six months' time. We have to show uh, a certain level of growth. Let's spend as much money as efficiently as possible so we can show that our patient or our customer numbers, whatever, have increased by that 30% we promise investors. And we just look for that next investment round rather than solving what is fundam- you, you know, that fundamental problem of is this something that people need and will want that isn't right. fulfilled currently? Yeah. And that's definitely, so that's one of the, the key takeaways I take from this, you know, particularly in a, in a COVID situation that when people are afraid to go to the pharmacy, that created a real opportunity to, to tap into it. But one of the things that I, that really jumped out at me from what you said in the very beginning was, you know, we're growing really fast, but we're not happy with that because, or we're not satisfied with that because we have such an important mission that we really want to push the envelope. So, so it's this like push and pull between we want to make sure that operations are good are, are good enough so that we can very effectively fulfill the demand that we're creating. But at the same time, there's lots of people in need that are not on the platform yet and you want to be able to get them on there. And, and then being able to really use the data as you have done is another key takeaway that the data helped you hone in on who that target is. And, and then, you know, everything from the interviews that you talked about, just understanding that target and understanding the dynamics of how, how they think about medication and how can you tap into those existing, uh, you know, data. I don't want to use the word habit around medication because it's, it's almost, even though it's a, like, I think an important word in growth, but just, just the sort of consistent action that they have around that medication, that if you can tap into that and, and make it easier for them, you, you can, uh, you can become an important part of their life much more quickly than than a product that's kind of starting from scratch where they don't have any sort of day-to-day um, things that they're doing that are related to that product. But uh, just a, there's a ton of great learnings that I took from this. I'm curious, Ethan, do you have anything else that jumps out at you? Yeah, I, mean, I would echo the same things, but it, it's, it's interesting how – an interesting learning for me is just that the subscription mindset – is in a in a business that isn't actually a subscription business, um, but you essentially echo uh, not to not to be corny, but you're echoing the idea of um, how subscription uh, models work because you're trying to get that repeat usage, and uh, yeah, and it it, it just really it, it's it struck me how the patient led approach has really been the key to growth for you, and how that's you know driven this cycle of just keeping you know speaking to to your your audience, learning from them. And, under, you know, it was a, a key point for me that you guys really dialed in that you had to learn how to speak to an older audience. So uh, lots of great learnings for me as well. I really enjoyed this. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, that's flattering. And I'm sure uh, when the team hear this back, they'll be uh, very thankful and, 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 and grateful for those comments. I mean, you know, that's what it comes down to. It's, I think we are um, a very mission-driven business. So to your point, Sean, you know, we'll never be happy with where we are. Because our mission is about, you know, adherence, about getting people the medicine they need to get well or stay, uh, sorry, stay, stay well or get better. Uh, and, and that is an endless sort of battle, right? And the, the easiest way to do that is to have the medicine in your hand. So yeah. uh, with that being a constant mission, it's, um, you can never be happier. Right. right. And, and that's just such a powerful thing. I think, if you if you have that in any business, it's just a, it's a lot easier to get out of bed in the morning and and be pumped up to go to work versus like, all right, back to the grind to hit 
a, a steeper curve up and to the right, but but like when you can really contextualize the difference that you're making and the good that you're doing, um, you just it, it you, you tap into a much deeper reservoir of of energy in your in your day to day work and and meaning. And sounds like uh, not just you, but really across the company that people are doing that, and that that's awesome. Well, that's it. You know, most people in the company either have a condition or are caring for someone with a condition, right? So they they not only motivated by the work they're doing, but they're motivated by the people they're doing the work for. Yeah. Well, Brad, I, mean, I know Ethan and I could could pepper with you with questions for the next few hours, but you've got a weekend that's uh, that's there, and you need to recharge for for another week of, uh, of of working on that mission. But thank you so much for taking the time and sharing the story with us. And uh, I'm I'm really impressed with everything that you're doing at, at Echo. So congrats on on all of that success. And I I know. You're not going to rest on that success that you guys are going to keep pushing from here to, uh, you know, get get everyone in England, then more broadly across the UK, and then hopefully uh, find opportunities even beyond that. So th- thank you for sharing that. And for everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.